Apple Chats. I'm your host and chaplain, the Reverend Dr. Hannah Adams Ingram. And community, this week is commencement week. It is finals week. It is the end of the spring semester, and we're leading toward, for the graduates, a graduation weekend that starts off with baccalaureate on Friday at 4.30 in Spurlock Gymnasium, followed by commencement Saturday morning. So if you do not know, the baccalaureate service is an ecumenical spiritual service meant to provide some centering, grounding, motivation to our graduates. It launches the weekend well. It allows you to reflect on where you have come from, where you are going, and really walk into commencement, walk across that stage with intention. Not just in a hurried mess of all the flurry that happens on Saturday morning. It's a beautiful flurry, but it is a flurry. Friday evening allows you to take a deep breath. To center your heart. To give thanks for what has happened. What's about to happen. And to reflect upon what you want from life now. So today in today's podcast, we actually have a conversation between me and Troy Jackson, our 2022 baccalaureate speaker. He will share a bit about who he is and what we hope is that you will engage with this conversation and get excited to join us on Friday at 430, May 20th in Spurlock Gymnasium. Guests are welcome, so please invite your friends, your family members. If you are an underclassman listening to this and you are in the area on Friday, you are welcome to come. Faculty and staff, we hope to see you there. And following the service will be a short reception in the Student Center atrium where you can catch up with each other to take pictures, um, to give hugs, and to start the celebrations for the weekend ahead. So with that, I will introduce you to Troy Jackson with a reminder that wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome in our chapel chats. Hello, Troy Jackson. Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Super. It's so good to see you on Zoom and to talk to you on our podcast. Um, you are our 2022 baccalaureate speaker. Yeah, Can you that's tell all us? I understand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is not news to you. Yes. Uh, can you tell uh, our students a bit about yourself? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in Indiana, Anderson, and when I was a senior, a friend of mine heard about a math contest at Franklin College, and for some reason, I agreed to get up at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning and slept all the way to Franklin from Anderson and took this math contest. And for whatever reason, uh, the spirit of the Lord was upon me or something, if I can use some religious language, actually won the math contest um, and ended up getting a full four-year full tuition scholarship to Franklin. Wow. Originally, I was skeptical about going there, but uh, over the course of the next few months, decided it was going to be the spot and 
So yeah, came on campus in 1987 and graduated in 1991. Met my wife, Amanda, at Franklin. And uh, it, it uh, has a special place in my heart for sure uh, in terms of my development. Yeah. And were there any groups or activities you were a part of while you were at Franklin? Well, I I lived in the now defunct Grizzly Den. Ooh. If you've ever heard stories about this place, uh, it was right across from Old Main. I think it's been torn down and something else built in its place. At this point, our room was about like right on top of the train tracks. So that was the first thing I remember is 3 a.m. my first night on campus, the train and the horn coming through shaking me uh every night eventually got used to that but um, i don't think i realized that like oh, i don't yeah. think i realized there was that there building. was a dorm there yeah okay yeah, it became the after i left it became the tea house for a while and then okay a lot of things have changed since the early 90s at franklin 30 plus years ago uh, but i was a resident assistant for three years i was part of a group called the trust team that uh one of the counselors developed, which was mm. a peer counseling. It was the trained referral understanding support team. Okay. Just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> just, the, just natural. I could have guessed that. that. And I was very involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship at the uh-huh. time. So all four years. So, yeah. yeah. So where did your life take you after Franklin? So partly because of the chaplain at the time, uh, Dr. Cliff Kane. He uh, connected me to an opportunity to go check out Princeton Seminary, which uh, he attended uh, back, I think, back in the early 70s. And uh, so I went out there and looked at that and a couple other seminaries and decided to go to Princeton and was there from 91 to 94. Had a, um, a real reckoning around race, racial injustice while I was there through studying James Cone through um, that was also when the Rodney King verdict happened. And, and I was going to say, yeah, there was a lot going on in the nineties. We there was. I mean, that was another time that it was, although not at the same level of this mm-hmm. last five to eight years, but yes. And so um, ended up really being committed to uh, doing work around racial justice uh, came and started pastoring a church in Cincinnati Starting in 94, uh, Amanda and I were married at that time, had three children in Cincinnati while I was pastoring, mm-hmm. um, went and got a master's and doctorate in civil rights history from the University of Kentucky, became right. a volume editor with the Martin Luther King Papers Project at Stanford on volume six, wrote wow. a book on Dr. King and the influence of Montgomery on Dr. Which, King. Which yeah. we have in the chapel. Okay. Yeah. It's called Becoming King. Mm-hmm. And uh After doing that for a while, I really got uh, provoked around what does it mean to be involved in the work of justice? So for the last 13, 14 years, I've been doing a lot more community organizing work, um, particularly focused on faith communities and with a specific, um, uh, how should I say it, uh, conviction about the importance of engaging evangelicals, particularly white evangelicals, about the importance of justice mm-hmm. and how it is rooted in our faith tradition, uh, yeah. given how off kilter I feel like that movement has become over the last few decades or maybe longer, to be fair. Right. Yeah. So I always have to follow up with vocational questions. Yeah. Since that's my job. Yes. What is community organizing for those who aren't familiar? 
Yeah, so uh, community organizing can take lots of different shapes, but it's basically um, rooted in relationship. And it is can be engaged in a lot of different sectors. So some of what is known as union organizing is community organizing, but the focus are members who people who work in a certain occupation or location, even some of what's happened. I think uh, there's been some Starbucks uh, who have recently unionized. That's because somebody's organizing them. There's also community organizing that is based on neighborhoods. Uh, And then the way that I've been most involved in organizing has been around faith communities. So I go to congregations, mosques, synagogues, other faith communities, engage with the clergy, engage with people in the church, build teams. Basically, it's about building power, Mm. uh, the power that is used to bring justice. So we aggregate that and work to change laws, systems, structures, corporate policies, uh, so that we live in a more just and fair and racially equitable world. And what are some of the shared interests that have come up in some of the communities you've worked in? Um, what are some of those topics that people have organized around? Yeah, I mean, so part of what we talk about with organizing, and I've been doing a lot of work with uh, Dr. Marshall Gans at Harvard, um, who teaches at the Kennedy School, is that the best way to pull people together is not on issues, but on values. So we really try to find who shares common values, and then let's figure out what fights we want to get into. So the big things we've worked on that have pulled people together, preschool education is one where I was a part of a big campaign in Cincinnati. Opportunities for undocumented immigrants, opportunities for people coming out of prison, returning citizens, those have been affected by the criminal justice system. Those have been three areas where I've done quite a bit of work over the last 12 years. Another one that I've done a lot of coaching and support on is just housing, justice and affordable housing, um, which has become a um, accelerated crisis the last five years or so. So I love that uh, model of kind of organizing around values and not just issues, because the way I understand is that if you only organize around an issue, when that issue ends, then the relationships might kind of falter. Whereas if you have relationships, then you can do ongoing things together. Right. And the idea is you pull together a group of people in a vehicle or some organization Mm -hmm. that can actually sustain work for justice Mm -hmm. over time. And so it's not pigeonholed in one fight, but able to do a lot of work over time. And there are plenty of examples like that, even in some ways, um, you know, the the civil rights movement at its best was united around the value Mm -hmm. that all people have dignity and this vision to restore the soul of America. Uh, And so the issue cuts changed, whether it was desegregating buses or uh, opportunity to eat and drink at the local um, uh, lunch counter or voting rights Mm -hmm. or housing justice. The issues changed along the way, but the base of people who shared common values about the dignity of every single human being and the need for racial justice was a clarion call that saw that movement through. That's great. And this may have felt like a a tangent, but I wanted you to share all of that because I think that so many of our students who are majoring in vastly different things 
could end up in work like that because of um, their interests and their passions and wanting to see a better world. And we need people of all skills and gifts doing that work, not just one major. And so I wanted you to take us down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Well, and I should say people who get involved in organizing, like there's social work majors, there's folks who have been clergy people like myself. There are folks who just have not gone to college, you get involved in this, or um, there's a lot of ways to get involved in community organizing work and justice work. On yeah. a, journalists, I've known journalists that have gotten involved. Yes, I know we that, have, isn't that a major there, if I remember yes, right? Yes, yeah. it is. And I, yeah. I work with journalism students or even yeah. political science students that are interested in policy and change, yeah. but not as politicians. Yeah. And they're not sure where else yeah. they could fit. And this is one of those places that they yeah. can fit. And a lot of our organizations and community organizing do have often a communications team or person yeah. who's working both with earned media, also digital media. There's plenty of ways to get involved in these kind of efforts. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, let's pivot to talking about baccalaureate. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I didn't prepare you with this question. What do you think baccalaureate is? Why should anyone want to come to this? Yeah, um, I think it's a great chance for maybe a little more intimate gathering um, to really reflect back on what the past four, three, four, five, six years, I don't know what it is like these days, what they've been like, um, what students have learned. And also, I'm hoping to orient students around uh, what is their uh, approach to life moving forward. I think the the um, uh, graduation itself is very, there's a lot of people there, a lot of pomp and circumstances, a lot of marching and processing, which is all lovely. Um, I do remember a lot of rain uh, <laughs> in my graduation day. But I don't remember much about that. But the baccalaureate, I think, provides a great opportunity, hopefully for some deeper connection. And then, you know, whatever you have planned for Friday night, the night before Mm -hmm. graduation uh, or don't have planned but end up doing, it's a great way to kick it off. I don't think it's too late. Like we're not doing a 10 p.m. baccalaureate. No, no. What time are we talking? We're doing 430. Yeah. Uh, We have a reception right afterwards with. The fanciest of campus hors d'oeuvres. Uh, the oh, graduates wow. always notice that we okay. pull out the fancier ones. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a great time to, if you do have family or friends joining wow. for baccalaureate, you then get happy hour on campus and then you go out to dinner um, yeah. or do whatever else you're going to do that night. Right. It is, like you said, a great way to just start the weekend um, reflectively uh, and build some of that excitement when a lot of our seniors are feeling a little bit stressed. Yeah, um, but hopefully not stressed about papers or exams. Yes, yes, that Those part is done. done. You can exhale. I'm assuming some of your favorite professors and mm-hmm. folks will be there at baccalaureate. You might get a chance to talk to them and just catch up where it might be harder to do that on, on Saturday at graduation. That is a great activity. So I would encourage mm-hmm. folks to take advantage. Yeah. Um, 
And I've been told to keep it to 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. I'm an old preacher, but I'm going to keep it tight. I'm sure the whole experience will be great. And we've got uh, graduates who are singing and performing okay. and reading. Um, so, yeah, friends, we hope you come and join us. Uh, we really see this as a gift to you all as graduates. Um, the chance to just, again, take a deep breath. Um before the weekend. And we are so glad you're joining us, Troy Jackson. Yeah. That's going to be great. Well, thank you for the invitation. I look forward to being there in a few weeks. All right. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye.